today. We're going to do two different scriptures today. One's in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 38, and the other one's in Colossians, because once again, it explains, oh wait, I, that's why you were aiming at the kids. I didn't get it. The kids can be dismissed to go downstairs. See, I'm a little bit slow. <laughs> uh, once again, if you're willing to look through the scripture, if you're willing to let God take you through it all, you're going to find answers. You know, where I saw that first, I don't want to take too long, was in the book of Acts. Peter was not a guy who was very educated. He could tell you how to fish. He could tell you how to do a lot of different things, run a business, all these different things. But when the Holy Spirit had come upon him, he was able to take everything into his mind that was planted, seeded years, years before. Remember, he was a Jew that he went to Jewish school till he was probably nine years old. At that point, they said, hey, listen, no offense, but it's probably better for you to go into the trades because you don't have the book smarts to go into something different. But they had planted, they had seeded all these things into his mind. God had done that. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and he connects. He makes these connections. Things that Peter didn't even remember, now he could remember. And they all made sense. They all came together for one direction. So when you start to study the Bible, when you really do take it, first of all, can I tell you something? This is not for amassing knowledge. If you're doing this to amass knowledge, you're doing it for the wrong reason. It's to hear from God. It's to see God. It's to savor. It's something that really is a treasure for your heart. Remember, God is not speaking directly to you through the Bible. He's speaking directly to the people he's writing to, but he wants to invite us in. He wants us to observe. He wants us to be blessed by it. Does that make sense? So listen to this. It says this, in the 26th month, God sent the angel Gabriel to a town called Nazareth in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. He was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, for the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be found with child and given birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. For he will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So I want you to be very clear. This angel says to this girl who's 15 years old, you are going to give birth to the long-awaited Messiah, the one that everybody's been waiting for. How will this be, Mary asked? And the angel said, uh, he, she asked the angel, since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy One will be born, um, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is past the age of, uh, of, she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. For I am the Lord's servant. Uh, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said it. And then the angel left her. Now go with me if you got your Bibles. And it's important for you to bring your Bibles because even if you're just reading it, looking at it, it's so important. Go to the, with me to the book of Colossians. It's near the back of the book. It's an epistle of Paul. 
It would be after the book of Philippians. And we're going to go to chapter 1, verse 15. This was written to a church that started to lose its way. And how did it lose its way? It didn't lose its way through sin. No, it started to lose its way in legalism. It started to think that knowledge was the thing that saved them. So they started to listen to all these teachers that told them they needed to know these different things. And if they didn't know them and they didn't listen to these teachers, somehow they would lose connection to God. And Paul goes, whoa, what are you thinking? The only way you could be connected to God is through his son. You cannot lose your connection unless you depart from his son. So he says this, for he, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. For all things were created in him and by him and for him. For he is before all things and all things are held together through him. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. That doesn't mean that he was born like we were born. That means that he has preeminence. He is number one over all. Then he says this. So that everything he, it, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed upon the cross. Man, that's a powerful, powerful, powerful statement. Um, I'll tell you, that would be some scripture that I think would be super important for you to kind of delve into and kind of imprint upon your mind because it reminds me that Jesus isn't just an opening door for me to get into the kingdom. He is the kingdom. I don't get in through Jesus. I get in through Jesus and I stay in through Jesus. I just said to someone this morning, I've been following the Lord for 26 years, and the truth is I need him more today than I knew that I needed him when I first started. You know why? That's what holiness does. He brings us closer to him, which sheds even more light upon who we are naturally and says, man, am I grateful for grace. Amen? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? So let's do a recap of last week because I really love the story of the nativity. There's a couple things I want us to remember, that last week we saw the glory of God, how? By his use of material that he uses to, ki to build the kingdom of God. Remember, he uses broken, flawed, warped, and discarded material to build a physical temple to house his glory. Paul says this, he says that he takes the treasure of who he is and he puts it into jars of clay. Man, that's a powerful statement. You know, nobody puts treasures in jars of clay. You know why? They were mass produced. They weren't that attractive. They were incredibly fragile. But God has chosen to house his glory in these, us, jars of clay that were a dime of dozen. There is a problem with that. Because of our fleshly nature, we don't want to be seen as jars of clay. But God says, this is the vessel that he's chosen to use. This is how he's chosen to bring salvation. And we see his glory in this. He uses substan substandard material to bring good from bad, prosperity from loss, order from chaos, health and vitality from decay and disease, and blessing from curse. Can I tell you something? That's what we've been called to. 
we've not been called to sit in a pew. We are literally his vessels to bring this kingdom into the world. And it's a powerful thing. You are now God's instrument to bring salvation to this world. Remember that this Christmas. Second thing, we saw his sovereignty. And why is his sovereignty so important? Well, I can tell you the truth. The reason that his sovereignty is so important for me is because I have a tendency to get caught up quickly with the things that are happening around me. And I'm a very emotional person by nature. Is anyone with me? Is anyone emotional by nature? Well, that means that a couple things happen inside of me. Anxiety sometimes rises up in me. And it usually comes out in a form of anger. Um, anyone else know what I'm talking about here? Right. So I have, to, I have to always go back to the sovereignty of God. Why? Because his sovereignty alleviates my anxiety. His sovereignty, when I think of him being in control, it alleviates my disappointment. You know why? Because I can say this for sure. No one is stronger than God, and I am exactly where he wants me to be, even if I'm not where I want to be. Amen? This is how we have power in this world. For his chosen, his sovereignty becomes rest and hope. And I want you to remember this. This Christmas, we have hope. And it's not like the hope we've learned. Well, I'm going to have a, a barbecue this weekend. I hope, I hope it doesn't rain. No, no, no. This is what hope means in Christ. We have an absolute assurance. God started the work. He saw it through with absolute precision, and he will complete the work. That means it doesn't matter how crazy or whacked out or discombobulated things get, God will fix all things. Doesn't that make you... I mean, just even to say it kind of makes me go... It makes me feel good. It makes me feel grounded. I'm not prone to be tossed around by the waves of emotion. Here's the third thing. God uses the least and the rejected. The black sheep, that's me. The unsubstantial, that's me. I'll profess it. I'll say it. And what does he use us to? To confound the wise. So much do we want to be seen as substantial. So much do we want to be seen as worthy. And God says, I don't choose those that want to pin medals upon their chest. I choose the one that the rest of the world goes, these guys are a loss. These guys are not the ones I would pick. God says, I picked them to confound the wise. I picked them to confound the ones who think that they are substantial and important, the self-made. I want to remind you of this. The greatest gift of Christmas is this, is that in King Jesus, God gives us a love that is immovable. You know what that means? He doesn't love you because of the grades you get. You're a capable kid. You're a good kid. You probably bring a lot of joy to your parents. But that's not why he loves you. He loves you because he made you. And he made you to be the object of his love. And can I tell you something? When you connect with that, you know what you'll never do? You'll never look for lesser loves to fill your heart. Does that make sense? Don't ever, ever disconnect from that place of value. Because if you do, you'll chase after lesser loves that will show you that they didn't love you with fullness. I keep knocking over my coffee. That's a bad thing to do. All right. Because God has given us this love, 
He fills our heart in a, in a world full of temporary securities. It requires something more than a casual commitment. Because he offers us more than a casual commitment, it has serious implications. When I understand what Christ did, and why he did what he did, and how he did what he did, and what he accomplished, it's not proper for me to give him less. And I don't know about anybody else, I can only speak of me, but I find that God is constantly pressing. He's constantly poking through my themes. He's constantly kind of weaving through my thoughts and my behaviors and my needs and my wants. And it's like sometimes I'm almost like, God, enough already. I've given enough. And he's like, I want it all, Tom. The things that you think you've needed, you've never needed. I'm what you need. And when you find your need in me, you'll be the richest of all men. Now, I know that to be true up here, but I'm still learning it in here. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about here? That's a simple fact. That's what God offers us. When I realize he's my greatest love, you know what I do find out just in a practical way? Even my home becomes more harmonious. You know why? I'm not fighting for control with my wife because we're both very strong-willed. Amen? Amen? And she's ten times smarter, so she wins the right fight almost all the time. You know, because I'm like a bull. She charges through the door, and she's like, ah! you know. She's ten times smarter. But you know what I will say? This, here's where it's most harmonious. I don't expect her to fill the void that I have felt in my heart since I was a child. And I felt it. Maybe no other people in this room haven't, but I have. I think I heard something from Jose the other day in a meeting. He was talking about his past life before Christ. He goes, sometimes addictions are deeper. He goes, it's about a hatred of self. And man, it's a hole. And you know what? No earthly thing can fill it, man. That's why there's so many addicts who believe in Christ. You know, because they come to this realization, no matter how much I search, no matter how much I try, I'm never going to find it. Only he has it. And that's what God has done for me. He has taught me that his love must be primary in my life, preeminent in my life, and then other loves become more lovable. Does that make sense? All right, let's go into the story. So the story today is how God chooses to reveal himself. And how does God choose to reveal himself? He chooses a drama. Any way you want to cut it, this is a drama. And I'm going to show you the drama of it. I love the story of the nativity because every time I read it, something new. One of the things my wife keeps telling me is, make uh, um, computer files for your old sermons. I'm like, no way. I'll never do that. You know why? Because I want the scripture to be new every single time, even if I'm saying the same thing. But I want to feel it because for me, it's not just a religion. It's literally Christ being on me, with me, he talking to me, seeing me. It's me with him. Because you know what? I need it. Some people can do it other ways, but me, I need that connection. And he gives it to me. He always gives it to me. So three things. As the drama unfolds, we see three things in this. First, he shows that he is greater than we imagine him to be. I'm going to explain it later. Two, he shows us that we are sorry worse than we are humanly willing to accept that's that's one of the aspects of christianity that we can never get past that's the mark of the true church and the professing church that's the false church 
See, the professing church, they'll tell you about the greatness of God and all the goodness of God, but they'll never tell you about the desperate need for salvation. They'll tell you all the good things that he's got willing to give to you, the treasures, but he'll never, they'll never pick up the mirror and show you who you really are. But here's the trick, and it's not a trick. I gotta be able to see who I am for me to really grab hold of grace. And I'm telling you, once that happens, it's a glorious thing. This then leads to the third part. He shows us the spectacular, surpassing greatness of knowing him. So first of all, let's go through the characters in the drama. I want you to put yourself in their shoes, okay? Our drama picks up with a young girl who has been pledged to a suitable husband. I love the Hallmark movies about the nativity. There's always that. My wife's a big sucker for them. Oh, and Mary's so cute, you know. She's about 20 years old. She's real pretty, got doe eyes. And, and you know, Joseph, he's like this kind of like 24-year-old guy. And he touches her hand at the well, and they've been looking at each other. That's not how it would have went. That, that has no basis in reality at all. As a matter of fact, they practice big-time separation. Men were far away from women, couldn't talk nor touch, and the older women made sure that the younger men didn't come near. So she did not know Joseph, and if she did, she only saw him from afar. This is not a romance story. Like we like to believe, oh, it's so romantic. No, no, it wasn't. It was a financial deal. It was made by a payment. It was given and expectations were intended to be met. He paid for her. And the family said, okay. So this is what Joseph, I believe, if I'm Joseph, he was expecting. He expected at the end of a year-long courtship, he would be looking forward to a nice and clean and tidy house. Now, who's been a bachelor for a long period of time? You know, one of the things is we like to believe we have order and cleanliness. Some men do. I did not. You know, I am literally like, I stack this over here. I know where everything's at, and it's like this. My wife comes in. She's like, no, that's got to go. That's got to go. That's got to go. I'm like, hey, stop it. Leave my stuff alone. But this is what Joseph was expecting. He was expecting that his house would be nice, tidy, and order. Here's another thing that I believe that he had an expectation for. He was hoping for warm and hopefully, God willing, tasty, tasty meals. Now, there's no guarantee she'd be a good cook, right? Can I tell you something that was a big issue for the Jewish man? Some rabbi said you could divorce your wife because she was a bad cook. You know, let me tell you something. That's crazy, you know? My wife was rough in the beginning. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she, she had a hard time with the water, bro. But you know what? I'm going to be honest. I didn't know no better. <laughs> so it was hard for me to throw stones. And, you know, she started with slow, small things, and she got better, man. You know what? And now she's a good cook, and I love her food. Uh, <laughs> but he, yeah, you're right. I better say that. Because I'll get, I'll get a meal tonight and be something special in it. <laughs> Boy, this kind of tastes like ground glass. Yeah, with a little added thing in there for you. So listen, he was hoping for warm, tasty meals. He was expecting that there would be something for him to eat in the morning. He was expecting that his lunch would be prepared, 
prepared for him when he walked out the door. He was expecting clean clothes because, as we all know, men have a tendency to wear the same pants five days in a row. He was also thinking this. Um, he was, I, I just want to say this. I remember when Tracy moved in. I can uh, never forget it. There were certain things that happened instantaneously that I thought were the craziest things in the world. Like, for one, there was toilet paper every time I looked for it. I was like, what the heck? There's toilet paper here. I just assumed when I moved out that it would always be there until I found out it wasn't there. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, what do I do now? Here was another thing, conditioner. Conditioner, what? Conditioner. Tracy moved in, and I'm like, hey, what is this stuff? And I put it in my hair. I, I felt good. I had, wow, my hair is nice and soft. There was crazy stuff that my wife brought into the house, like Q-tips. I knew they existed. I knew they were there when I lived in my mom's house, but I never had them when I lived by myself. Here was another thing that she brought with her. I believe she brought with her dental floss. You know, these are just things you're like, oh my gosh, how did these things magically appear? It was because my wife brought them in with her, things that she thought that I couldn't naturally think of. And I got to believe that's what Joseph was thinking. He's like, I've made the bargain of my lifetime. He thought this. He had expectations when his shoulders were tired. Mary would put some cooling menthol oil on his shoulders. You're a, you're a carpenter. Sometimes you come home, your back is breaking because you were carrying things. You're always lifting. That's the way Joseph felt. He was expecting for his wife to bring him comfort. He was expecting a nice warm body to cuddle up to at the end of the night. He was hoping, God willing, that after a little while, maybe God would give a son or two. Why? so it could help with the family business. He was hoping maybe if God was nice that they would give a daughter which would make the house even run smoother and eventually prosper the family financially. These were the things that Jesus intervenes in. This is what they're looking for, and Jesus is like, he pulls into the parking space. Let's look at the expectations of Mary for a few minutes. Hers are a little bit different. I think she would have had a lot of uncertainty. She would be thinking to herself, is this really a nice man or is he just putting up a good face? Will he treat me with respect? Because I don't think it was always a given. She would probably be thinking, will this man love me? She's thinking to herself, will I want to love him? I think she's thinking to herself, what's it like? Remember, she's 13. What's it like to give birth? I'm grateful women have to take care of that because I wouldn't want to do it. But she's got to be thinking this. What's it going to be like? You know what I also think she was thinking? What will happen to me if I can't conceive? Because these were grounds for divorce. Man, this is the crazy thing. As the day approached, the angel appears to Mary and tells her this, that she has been chosen by God. And what has she been chosen for? That she will conceive a baby by miraculous means. And it's no ordinary baby. It's the Messiah, the one who has come to save Israel. Even though they had a flawed view, she was going to give birth to the Savior. And she knew it. You know what I think to myself? That's so God that he would send his messenger to her to hear a message that only she could hear. It's not like she would go, hey, did you just see that angel talking to me two minutes ago? Because there would have been nobody around. It was just her and the angel. Why? Because salvation is a private matter. 
not for me to be kept by myself. I don't just come in because I'm attached to someone, he says. There's no grandchildren in the kingdom of God. You must all be born into it. Does that make sense? It is literally a marriage, a spiritual marriage of sorts that I must say yes to. He says to her, greetings, Mary, for you are highly favored and the Lord is with you. Now, I want you to understand that if you read this the wrong way, you can easily misunderstand it. As I believe the Catholic Church has, and I'm not pointing fingers at them, but I believe their doctrine's wrong. They believe God picked her because she's better. She's better than the women around her or the better than the men. That's not what this means at all. The wording doesn't even allow us to think like that. What I think is this, is that the angel Gabriel is telling her that she is highly favored because she has been chosen by God. What does that mean to you and me? It means everything. That means you didn't wake up. If you followed Christ, if you pledged your life to him, if you received his salvation, it's not because you made a great decision or he chose to come to you because somehow you were better than others. No, no, no. He makes you better by his choosing. You understand? It's the choosing that gives me value. When I, in this world, struggle with value and think, why am I not, or why don't I have, or why didn't I give? I can always go back. It doesn't matter what the world offers me. God has picked me. Can I tell you something? This gives you stability. When people want to leave you, and they do. When people overlook you, and they do. When people cheat you and tell you you are less without saying a word, and they do. That's what this world produces. You can always go back to the solid ground. I was picked, and I was chosen by God. That's huge. That's absolutely huge. That is a gift of Christ. We have been chosen. This gives us value. And this value doesn't produce a prideful life. Well, I've been chosen. I've been picked. I'm the number one on the team. No. <laughs> this choosing actually causes me to be willing to operate in humility. See, Jesus knew who he was. So he could go low, lower than anyone else around them. That's why they couldn't get it. They're like, even the angels, the beauties, they're like, you know who you are. Why are you doing this? Exalt yourself for them to see. And he goes, you don't even know what I'm doing here. You have no idea. When we understand the value of him choosing us, I don't have to exalt myself for anyone. I don't have to push my way to the top. I don't have to be recognized. I don't have to be patted on the back. I don't have to get the number one spot. As a matter of fact, if they replace me, my job as a son of God, as a child of God, is to cooperate with what God wants to do. Amen? See, this is powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. All right, let's keep moving forward. So, how do we know that this tells us that God is stronger, greater, more glorious than we could think? Let's read Mary's song. Because Mary has what's called an epiphany. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my, favor, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Now from all generations on, 
May you call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him for generation to generation. For he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud with their inmost thoughts. And he has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble and he's filled the hungry with good things. For he has sent away the rich and full and You want to get fed by God? Come with your hat and your plan. I have nothing. I have nothing. All I have is you, God. You know how often I pray that prayer? I have nothing to offer. You could, I'm a dime a dozen. You could use anyone to do anything. Why you would choose me? I don't have anything. I look at my scripture. I look at my, uh, not my scripture. I look at my, my sermon and I say, these are dead, worthless words unless you breathe life into them. I come with only me. You want to feel the greatness of God? Be willing to be brought low. Be willing to say, I need you and only you. Listen to this. Listen. Mary experiences God's greatness. Why? Because of his willing commitment to humility. See, Mary would have always known that God was great. She was a Jew. She was told of God's greatness. She had the scripture. She would have understood it. But unless God came down to her, it would have never been tested. Does that make sense? Now for her, it's not just a religion that she understands or part of her culture. It's personal. See, for us to experience the love of God, it has to be personal. It has to be where he comes to me individually, calls me out and says, I'm coming to you because you were made for me. That's where everything changes. You understand? So let's keep moving forward. So God demonstrates his greatness, not by staying high, but coming low. Okay? God also demonstrates his greatness, not just by coming to lowly mankind, but he picks Mary, who is the least of the least. In first century Israel, Mary literally has no rights. She didn't get to say yes or no to Joseph. The father did. She was supposed to say, okay, dad. She couldn't say, I'm tired, I'm going to live my own life like we see in every Disney movie. I'm tired of doing what they tell me to do. That's never words that would have come out of her mouth. Her job was to say, yes. And she did. And she did. Why? Because God made her to say yes. So there's a practical mission. There's a practical application for you and me this Christmas. And this is it. That I need to drill it into my heart that he is greater than my greatest desires or my greatest expectations. Can I tell you something? At 57 years old, I've worked my whole life, and I'm at that point where God is telling me to end my career here and go full-time into ministry. Okay? That means I'm going to take on more work with less compensation when my brain, my other side, is telling me, cruise to the moon, dude. Cruise to the moon. Get a good spot with the city. 
can make all that overtime, we'll give them the thirty, forty thousand dollars extra a year. You can do that if you fight for it. And I'm telling you, it's a struggle. It's touch and go. But you know what always wins the battle? Is I know his love and I know his So it's like the gravity that pulls me back. We all live in a world that's like, hey, that's pretty shiny. That's sparkly. But if you know the love of Christ, it's like, but, but I gotta, but I, I can't, I can't follow that. I, let me tell you something. Christ makes it really clear. I can't love the world and love him. He makes it real clear. Does that mean he doesn't want us to have anything? No, far from it. But what he does want is he wants us to find our first treasure with him. That then limits our investment in other things. Does that make sense? All right, let's keep moving forward. I want to kind of hit a couple more points on that. I want you to understand that seeing God as less attractive or less preferable is the greatest sin of humanity. To know him is because he knows us. To be seen by him is our greatest treasure. To be claimed by him, like I told you before. Remember when I was claimed, called to be the leader of the youth at the other place? Yeah, I'm sorry, can I? Uh, it's put Pastor Asa put his hands on me in front of people that didn't want me to be the leader. I didn't want to be the leader. And he goes, this is my guy. And that group, even though they didn't want to accept me, they knew that Asa had called me and God had called him. So they had to submit. Can I tell you something? To know that God stands before all creation and puts his hand upon my shoulder and he says, who can bring accusation against the one in my chamber? You or you or you? Who is it that judges? It's I who judge. More than that, I'm the one who lived and died for this man. It's my blood that makes him clean. Man, I'm telling you, that's a powerful thing. And you know what else? I also know that that's the greatest treasure that one can own. Man, let's keep moving forward. Remember the rich young ruler? He saw wealth and security, respectability, and a good name as more preferable than Christ. I want you to understand that salvation is not a business deal. That's what Nicodemus heard. He said, hey, I know you're from God. I'm a religious guy. Let's kind of get a partnership together. That's not what salvation is. That's not why Christ came into the world. Where I follow, he blesses. I give, he gives more. I serve, he makes my life prosper. I feel good about myself because I come. No, no, no. He says, you come, surrender yourself, and everything I have, I give to you freely. Man, that's a great, great and glorious gift. I, this Christmas, want to say that I have to consciously commit my mind to fix my eyes on him instead of my fragile life. You know what that means? That everything that I think I need, I don't always need. There are certain things that I can't go without. But you know what, though? I can tell you, when you know his love, I don't go to other people. I go to him. I'm a guy who lives to feel loved. I do. I don't know if anyone else is in a room like me, but I do. I need to feel welcomed. I need to feel loved. I need to be received. And you know what? When I don't, I've stopped going to humanity to look for it. 
because they can't give it. So I go to him and I tell him, Lord, I'm thankful. I know you bless me. I give you my heart. I give you my whole witness to you. And always prayers keep coming. He always prays that to me. And remember that, folks. Whatever you're looking for, whatever you value, his closeness, his clarity, his knowing you is the greatest gift that you've received. Amen? All right, let's look at that second point. Second point, his coming to earth tells me just how broken I really am. Jesus says, I am the light that has come into the world, but men don't like the light because they prefer to walk in darkness. What does that mean? That means I have what I would like to present to the world as who I really am. You know what that means to me in a practical way? I can't judge anyone, even myself, because my eyes can sometimes be easily distorted. So I have to allow him to give me what he says he sees of me. You know what he sees of me? As someone who is deeply flawed at times, someone who is broken, but someone who is loved, someone who is committed to, and someone who is chosen. Boy, I don't know if that makes you happy, but it certainly makes me happy. Let's keep looking at the next part. He says this. Jesus comes to show as the light that he, he shows us who God is and not who we demand him to be. Because there's an aspect of our humanity that wants to make God fit the cookie cutter image of who we want him to be. But he's greater than that. Think about this for just a second. To the Pharisees, to the religious elite, did they think the Messiah would come to a nobody named Mary in Nazareth? You know what one of the followers of Christ said of Nazareth? Nazareth, the Messiah coming from Nazareth? Can anything come good from Nazareth? You know why? Nazareth was a ghetto. What? Can the Messiah come from a ghetto? Where there's an outpost of these dirty, filthy Romans? The city is filthy with them. Can the Messiah come from there? Oh, yeah, he does. Does the Messiah come to a nobody? From parents who are nobodies going to be pledged to a nobody carpenter? No, he would come from a nobleman's child. He would be born into a palace. He would have a beautiful crib to be put into. No, God chose to be put into a feeder for animals. God, he's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. No one, no one is like God. No one is like God and no salvation is near he has come to us to show us the extent of our need for grace. I want you to understand this, that all the religions of the world have one thing in common. If you do, you get. But salvation shows us the seriousness of our condition in a way that nothing else does. That our need goes far beyond that of self-improvement. Christianity says my life is so broken, so distorted, so warped, that I must be born again. Mary is experiencing rebirth. The opening steps of this, which she's experiencing something she's never, ever felt before. As the worship team comes up, I want to bring you to the last point. I believe this, that Mary always believed that God was great. But you know what? Her relational experience was never tested. There's so many Christians that believe in God, but they never allow their lives to be tested 
pursue security and worldly success more than they pursue him. And the righteousness that only his kingdom can produce. Remember what he said. Make it your first pursuit to seek after the kingdom of God and all its righteousness. All that other stuff, that'll be added. Don't worry. Just trust me. That's what he says. Mary always believed. But it's one thing to believe something is true. It's something completely different when you experience it to be true. Mary knew she was part of the chosen people, but I guarantee from 15 years of age, she never thought she was part of the chosen people. Every Jewish person I've ever met always says the same thing. I always go, man, you're part of the chosen people. You know what they always say to me? Yeah, we were chosen to suffer. I tell you something, that doesn't change for us. I got bad news for you. We have to deny ourselves daily, pick up our cross, and walk to the place where he ends us so he can have it all. But he says it's worth it. It's so worth it. See, Mary tasted it for the first time in her life. She tasted it for the first time in her life. She went from head knowledge and head faith to heart faith. You know what I think Mary felt there listening to her words? She felt what every bride wants to hear. Now, it's hard for me to think of what a bride wants to hear because I'll never be one, right? But in my opinion, when a bride comes in, what happens? Every eye goes to that door, right? She's the focus of attention. And the person who's watching her most, I can remember when I was there and I was looking at my wife come in and I couldn't take my eye off her, not because she looked beautiful, and she did, but I can remember the seriousness of it. I was like overwhelmed by it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, got, I, got, I need help here. But you know what she's thinking, I believe, knowing my wife? She wants to be loved. She wants that love to never depart from her. She wants to be received by someone who's always going to be faithful to her no matter what, even when she doesn't look that beautiful. She wants someone who's going to be faithful to her, even when things are not advantageous for me, like I don't get my house cleaned, and I don't get the Q-tips to clean my ears, and I don't have a good cook. That's what she wanted. And you know what? She didn't know she was going to get that from Joseph. You know why? She could. Love that we want can never be found in this life. As hard as you may try, but when you see Christ that day, you know someone who will never, ever turn around. That's the gift of Christ. Let's stand up.